probably never heard the term acequia, but it describes one of the oldest methods of irrigation on the planet. Too bad American ranchers have largely ignored it. Craftsmanship Quarterly presents The Hydraulic Genius of Sharia Law by Roberto Lovato. Near the southernmost deserts of Colorado, in the immense silence and blue shadow of the Sangre de Cristo, or Blood of Christ, mountains, José Avila's raspy, soft voice seems to blend seamlessly with the swish of water flowing in the irrigation ditch cutting through the alfalfa farm at our feet. A 30-degree chill begins what will later become a 70-degree October day in the San Luis Valley. The farm's quiet feels eons away from Denver, Colorado Springs, and other upstream cities that are trapped in yearly cycles of drought, fires, and other water calamities. Such is the fate of the arid land between the Rio Grande and Interstate 25, as opposed to the communities where the Culebra River flows. With the ditch burbling next to him, Jose explains the ancient practice of dividing the flow of water with acequias, the gravity-based ditch and communal water management systems that have irrigated farms in southern Colorado and northern New Mexico since the arrival of the conquistadores. To be historically precise, the conquistadores and the Indian warriors and craftsmen accompanying them from Mexico brought this technology with them on their transatlantic journey from the semi-arid regions of 16th century southern Spain to the New World. The Spaniards, in turn, learned it from their Arab and Berber conquerors, whose civilization dominated large swaths of a Spain's Iberian peninsula for more than seven centuries. Jose and I are standing in a parched piece of the farm around what's known as the People's Ditch, marked by a bronze plaque that commemorates this acequia's founding in 1852. Some of the original signers, Jose informs me, have the same last name as the parciantes, or affiliated water users, today. The football field-sized strip of acequia serves 16 parciantes and irrigates more than 2,100 acres of hay, chicos, or dry corn, alfalfa, and other heirloom crops. And this is just one slice of a four-mile network of earthen and concrete acequias. This watery nervous system connects the People's Ditch to 14 other acequias, uniting more than 350 families and irrigating in excess of 23,000 acres across the valley. When I ask Jose how acequias work, he says, How do you explain how salt tastes? His Spanglish accent contains hints of the Purepacha Indian heritage that he brought with him from Michoacan, Mexico. People write books and tell stories about cambiando agua, or literally changing water. But I've read some of those books, and sometimes it's not stated well. You really have to do it. Jose describes acequia as a method of irrigation in which water managers work with what they see as nature's intent. As romantic as this sounds, it is supported by the findings of Silvia Rodriguez, a scholar at the School for Advanced Research, a Santa Fe think tank. Acequia irrigation, she says, is kinesthetic, visual, technical, and interactive, but not especially verbal. I check my boots and tuck in my pants in preparation for my first ever attempt 
to change the water in the 40 years since I discovered Asequias as a curly-haired, working-class city boy tourist in southern Spain. Moving slowly, Jose leads me along the banks of the ditch next to a parcel used to grow alfalfa. Asequias, he explains, begin with finding springs and venas, or veins, of water. Once they identify a source, locals try to envision the water's course from higher to lower elevations, according to the natural pull of gravity. Central to the process, he adds, is the excavation of the Asequia Madre, literally Mother Asequia. This is the largest and widest of the family, and it is cut perpendicular to the stream, so as to move the water laterally toward the fields the farmers want irrigated. Jose says the Parciantes' job is to make sure the water curves and cradles itself within the natural embrace and gravity of the land. To do this, acequia managers actually reform the surrounding landscape. Once the higher elevations have been irrigated, any water that remains returns to the original stream, through what's known as a desagüe, or unwatering channel, located at the acequia's bottom portion. A line of trees, plants, and other vegetation growing alongside the acequias signal another of their distinguishing features, the ecological benefits of the earthen materials used to build them. Unlike modern concrete ditches that benefit little to no nearby plant life, a clay and earthen-based acequia enhances the local ecology, especially the waterway's borderlands. Called riparian zones, these areas can grow into an entire cornucopia of plants, animals, birds, and insects, which help sustain huge fields of farmland through their interaction. We walk southward, downstream toward a dry patch of farmland. Jose furls his eyebrows as he looks around, then reaches for a large orange tarp. Watch, he says, asking me to pull the tarp away from the section of the farm he wants to irrigate. Watch how the water does what you ask of it, if you ask the right way. Sure enough, water rushes down from the presa, an iron diversion dam, flooding the section where Jose and I are standing, and then washing onto the plot of land to the right of the acequia. A 50-foot radius of parched earth suddenly becomes a muddy patch of ground. Seeing life brought so easily to what is essentially a piece of desert gives me a serious rush. The Unequaled Craftwork of Asequias The deserts near the Sangre de Cristo and San Juan mountains remained inhospitable to agriculture for centuries, until the arrival of the Asequias combined with the water management ways of native peoples, such as Uti and Tlaxcala, people from Mexico who accompanied the conquistadores. Devon Peña, a scholar at the University of Washington, breaks this down for me. Peña is one of the world's leading authorities on acequias, and he uses complexity theory, as well as what's known as resilience theory, to describe how acequias contribute to the simple green gorgeousness of a valley. In order to have equilibrium, you have to have the ability to bounce back from disturbances. That, he says, is how acequias help the local ecology. If you don't have resilience, then all you have is stagnation and homeostasis. And homeostasis is not a good thing. 
Peña lives part-time in the San Luis Valley, where he founded the Acequia Institute, whose mission is to support water democracies, resilient agriculture, and environmental justice. Between 1995 and 1999, with the help of a major federal grant, Peña led a team of 24 researchers who conducted studies of the Acequia's various ecosystem services. Among other benefits, he found that acequias help create wetlands through what is known as sub-irrigation, the process by which water moves through soil and then collects in areas, called sumps, creating wetlands in the process. This, of course, boosts the variety and health of the area's flora and fauna, while also replenishing groundwater aquifers. This is the unequaled craftwork of acequias, Peña says. A very different process, he argues, from the approach to efficiency advocated by groups like the Ditch and Reservoir Company Alliance, a powerhouse lobbying organization for big agriculture, as well as industrial and municipal interests. They measure progress in strictly economic, not ecological terms. The craft of the acequia can be admired from any of the hills and mountains surrounding the San Luis Valley. At over 8,000 feet above sea level, and with average annual rainfall of less than seven inches, the equivalent of some of the world's hottest deserts, the valley is not supposed to be as green, gorgeous, or alive as it is. Nor is it supposed to enjoy the equilibrium that the acequias make possible, an equilibrium that I saw lacking on the long drive south from Denver. Disequilibrium Crowley County is just a two-and-a-half-hour drive across Highway 25, northeast of the San Luis. But, in terms of ecological equilibrium, it resembles another galaxy. Its sorry condition is worth noting, if only to underscore the easy gains that acequias offer, and which the practitioners of conventional agriculture ignore, or dismiss as foolish. Signs of human habitation, empty farms turned into cemeteries for rusty agricultural equipment, the occasional for sale or Trump-Pence signs, and commercial streets with no commerce or people give the area the feel of futuristic battlegrounds and wastelands like the ones featured in Independence Day and other movies filmed in the region. Shortly after its birth in 1911, Crowley grew exponentially. Tens of thousands of acres of arable land turned into a rainbow carpet of tomatoes, cantaloupe, onions, corn, wheat, and other crops, until drought colored the land dust bowl brown in the 1930s. Not easily discouraged and inspired by a vision fusing God, capitalism, and engineering, Crowleyans built a $2 million tunnel into the Rockies through what they identified as the narrowest part of the Continental Divide. A new water day was born. And then, another drought darkened their day in the 1970s. Crowley's response became an object lesson in water catastrophe. Its citizens started a process of separating water from the land, doing what critics today call buy and dry, the buying and selling of water rights as a profitable and transferable commodity. Tired of farming amidst the browning-greening-browning dialectic that's endemic to the area, 
Many Crowley farmers sold the majority of their water rights, 90% or more in many cases. As a result, water companies like the Crowley County Land and Development Company saw an opportunity. Cladco, in turn, sold its water rights to the newly sprawling Front Range cities of Colorado Springs, Aurora, and, most notably, Denver, which is now ranked number seven on a list of U.S. cities that will be most impacted by climate change. Of the tens of thousands of acres of arable land around Crowley, 4,000 acres are all that's farmed now, after the most recent water diversion back toward the west. The rainbow is gone. Farms lie fallow. Local farmers now have to import bees to pollinate what little hay they harvest. But the most glaring of the effects of this separation of the water from the land are found in the dozens of relatively new, gray, concrete buildings in Crowley County, housing what is by far the region's most important crop, inmates, in both government and private prisons. The effects of buy and dry in Crowley stand as a rusty monument to one of the blindest acts of legal audacity ever devised in the American West. The Doctrine of Prior Appropriation, or DPA, also known as the first-in-time, first-in-right system of water management, DPA began amidst the gold rush fever in California and spread rapidly. DPA gives the first person to appropriate or use water in a given region the first rights to virtually the entire water flow as the senior water right holder. By law, their water needs must be met before anyone else gets water. DPA effectively turns a water right into personal property that, in Colorado and other states, gets treated as shares by the mutual ditch companies that are the primary holders of these rights. In so doing, DPA introduces a Wild West spirit into water management that remains a foundation of civilization west of the Mississippi, a foundation flooded and dried and wildfired by the perpetual flow of disequilibrium. Standing next to the People's Ditch, I ask Jose how it is that acequias have been so successful for so long in a state ruled by the doctrine of prior appropriation. He points immediately to the need to not separate water from the land. One of the ways I was taught to connect with the land, Jose tells me in Spanglish, is agarrando un puno y hueliendolo. You have to grab a handful of dirt and smell it. It will tell you what it's made of, what's unique about it, what it needs. That's the beginning. I grab my own handful of the dark brown soil. Black specked water drips onto my hands and down my arm as I lift the clump to my nose. Its grassy smell makes it feel alive. One reason the water and soil have such a rich relationship, I soon learned, is that water is not governed by who gets it first. Instead, it's considered a communal resource. Sharia Law My journey into the world of acequias began accidentally. I was 12 years old, on vacation with my mother and grandmother. At age 76, Mama Tay didn't want to die without visiting Andalusia, the land of countless crying virgenes and bleeding Christs made of stone and wood in the dozens of big, dark, boring churches she dragged me into. 
Andalusia, which sits in the southernmost corner of Spain, was and remains the most arid region in the country. It is also the only part of Europe that built a tourism industry around the marvelous ruins left by Arab conquest. The boredom of my Andalusian journey was vanquished in Granada, thanks to the monument that rocked my adolescent imagination, the Alhambra, the fortress, royal court, and fabulous residence of King Mohammed ibn Yusuf ben Nasser, also known as Alhamar. The founder of the Nasrid kingdom, Alhamar ruled Granada before the Reconquista, the reconquest by the Spaniards. The mellifluous flow of water cascading throughout the Alhambra's mosaic stone grounds helped me reverse roles. I was the one dragging my mother and Mama Tay across endless acres of gardens and fountains as we followed the course of the earthen channels sculpted into the palace floors. My clearest memory is of our Moroccan guide. After dazzling us with stories about the fountains, the tall, gaunt man took us to an arched concrete lookout point facing outward toward the city and the Sierra Nevada mountains. He described, in Arabic-inflected Spanish, how the acequia system, which he called a marvel of water engineering, had made the city and its civilization possible. The networks of acequias in Andalusia also laid the legal, engineering, and cultural foundations for the Spanish civilization, whose towns and cities, Almeria, La Subia, Algeciras, kept their Arabic names. Along with the phrase Kalat al-Hamra, or Red Castle, the other Arabic term I came home repeating mantra-like that summer was acequia. As one of about 4,000 Spanish words rooted in Arabic, the term comes from the pre-Islamic Sabian, or ancient Yemeni, term sakia, bearer of wine or water, which went on to become the Arabic term asakia that which gives water. Water management systems like the acequia have for millennia, some say 10,000 years, provided a foundation for desert religions. Over time, water and religion shaped each other. The most important term in Islamic law, besides Allah, is sharia, a word that originally described the legal principles that governed the water management practices of nomadic tribes, in the Arabian Peninsula of the pre-Islamic era. From Spain, the dynamism and flexibility of the acequia system quickly rooted itself throughout the Spanish Americas, beginning a continental water divide that remains to this day. I was reminded of this history during a 2011 visit to Bolivia. One day, during a break at a global conference on climate change in the city of Cochabamba, I visited an Asequia-based Aymara Indian community. The Aymaras lived near an arid, rocky landscape at the lower end of a mountain high in the Andes above town. A guide took me along the path of the local Asequia, which he said coursed in this tiny, carnation-producing hamlet through the entire town and into other towns. These Aymara communities were among the indigenous groups that led what some call the Cochabamba Water War of 1999 to 2000, the fight to regain Cochabamba's water rights back from the Bechtel Corporation. 
The fight for the collective, rather than private, water rights led directly to the election of Evo Morales, the first indigenous Bolivian president in 500 years. The Law of Thirst Almost 1,000 acequias in New Mexico and Colorado still operate under the communal principles first codified under the Islamic Law of Thirst, a doctrine transferred and subsumed into Christian Spanish law. Under the Law of Thirst, water management must prioritize dividing and distributing water for all living things that thirst, in other words, people, plants, and animals. To make this work, the acequia system includes a process for conflict resolution, which sometimes is badly needed. As but one example, Jose tells me about a man who was so desperate for water that he pulled a gun on the fellow who was in line before him and started shooting. After a SWAT team tried to arrest the troublemaker, a group of his fellow parciantes met with him and lectured him about his communal responsibilities. Apparently, he has caused no trouble since then. In February 2008, during the annual meeting of the Congreso de Acequias held in the crowded cafeteria of Centennial School in San Luis, more than 130 strangers descended on the town one day, most of them wearing baseball caps and cowboy boots. It turned out that leadership of the Ditch and Reservoir Company Alliance, or DARCA, the big ag lobbying organization, had decided to hold their annual meeting in San Luis. The Congreso members were taken aback and a bit worried until they took a second look. Many of their visitors were holding DARCA flyers saying, learning from others. True to their word, they had come to learn about acequias, specifically its system of conflict resolution and ecological services. What brought them, apparently, was Colorado's water crisis. Such things were unheard of in a state where textbooks like The History of Agriculture in Colorado, published in 1926 by the Colorado State University Ag School, concluded that, under Spanish-Americans, agriculture did not progress. More recently, in response to claims by Peña and others for the state to officially recognize and restore their common usage water rights, a judge declared... It's time to bring these Mexicans into the 20th century. In 2009, Peña and other Congreso members fought for HB 123309, a bill supporting acequias that passed the Colorado legislature and was then signed by Governor Bill Ritter. The bill officially recognized acequia institutions as one of the oldest forms of local self-governance in the western U.S., and created conditions for their further development. Peña and other Congreso members are now working toward another round of legislation that, among other things, would prohibit the sale or transfer of water away from acequias. We went from people denigrating us and saying acequias are just a bunch of Mexicans playing with water, Peña said, to having one of the most influential rural business groups in the state coming to us so we could teach them how to save their own asses. That's real progress. The 
The Hydraulic Genius of Sharia Law was written by Roberto Lovato and read by Mitchell Greenberg. It was produced by Chris Igusa. This story originally appeared in Craftsmanship Quarterly, a multimedia online magazine about artisans, innovators, and the architecture of excellence. More stories, videos, audio recordings, and resources on craftsmanship can be found at craftsmanship.net.